Amen. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, great. Let me just um, get myself sorted out here. Been a good morning already, hasn't it? Um, so we're carrying on. There we are. We're carrying on our series in God's Big Story. Um, and it's, it's great to be speaking to you this morning. Um, we're arriving at Exodus uh, chapter 3, which is Moses' story. And it's, it's about Moses and the burning bush, which is a passage that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. Um, but Becca did a great job last week in evening service just filling us in um, on the first half of Moses' life. But if you weren't here, and if we just need a little recap, of course, Moses um, was has fled from Egypt after killing somebody. Um, he's got married and settled down, and 40 years have passed since when he was in Egypt. And um, perhaps any memory of, of, of the suffering of his people and of wanting to help them has, has disappeared, perhaps, in those 40 years. And, um, and here he is, um, which is quite an interesting place for him to be, really, just in terms of, I think, for us, thinking about maybe things that God, we felt God say to us in the past, and maybe we got to a place where those things have passed, or we wonder whether God's still saying that. So that's where Moses is at. He's not really had any encounters with God yet. And we get to these verses. So let me just click on, let's see if this works. There we go. So the verses are there, and I'll read them to you. Moses, uh, the Exodus chapter 3, 1 to 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flocks to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight while a bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Is that God's next one? There we go. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Oh, there's, there's so much packed into these 12 verses. It's incredible, really. It's a brilliant little encounter that Moses has with God. Um, and there's so much we could say. But I just want to draw hope. I think four things. We might only do get to three of them, but hopefully four things. But I think the first thing I just want to say is how this is, is when we re, we're working through God's big story, aren't we? We're working through the Bible this year, and I think it's important when we when we get to these passages, we sort of ask ourselves, how does this fit into God's big story? What is this revealing to us about the overall picture of what is happening? And I'd just like to ask you a question to begin with today. The question is, what is God like? 
That's a question to think about. What is God like? Because I think this passage begins to reveal to us some things about what God is like. So just bear that in mind. Here we go. So the first thing I want to say, and I don't want to spend too long on this first point, but the first thing is that God is in every day. God is in every day. You notice here in the first few verses, what's Moses doing? He's just tending the sheep. He's just, he's just looking after the sheep. Um, and that is brilliant because I think sometimes we can get into this mentality that God, God is only in special occasions. And whether that's in a kind of Christian mindset of he's there in Sunday services and he's there in the summer festivals, or whether it's a more secular mindset of um, he's on retreats, he's at retreat centres and, and meditation classes, we get the idea that God only appears and God only wants to meet us in special occasions where maybe there's lots of people or there's special music or, or whatever it is. And it's not that God doesn't meet us in those things, but there's the great news of Christianity really is it's not reliant on the right conditions God wants to meet you right now. To, well, obviously, we're here Sunday today. Let's say tomorrow. God wants to meet you tomorrow morning on your way to work. And the thing is, so often I think we can, we can find ourselves waiting for, 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 for the next occasion. But I'd really say to you, expect God to do something about your situation right now. Right now. No more waiting. No more putting off to some special occasion. No more when the atmosphere is just right. Right now, today or tomorrow, God, this week, wants to change that thing that has never changed. He wants to do that thing that you've been longing for him to do for ages. Expect him to do something. The next thing we see, and this is where we're going to just sit for a few minutes today, mainly. Um, here we go. About what, what is God like? As we move through this passage, we get to this amazing encounter in verses 4 to 6. And we see that God is holy. God is holy. And bear in mind, this is Moses' first encounter with God. And this is the first thing he knows of God. Which, if I was God, I probably wouldn't have shown my holiness as the very first thing, probably. I mean, you know, me being English and things. I just, you know, let's be a bit gentler to begin with. And, but no, the first thing that Moses encounters is this holiness of God. And of course, if you've been around church for a while, Normally, holiness is um, defined as set apart, or um, being pure, or um, clean, or without sin. And all of those things are true. All those things are good. It does mean to be set apart. It does mean that it's clean and pure and without sin. But just something I would like to draw out a little bit more about what holiness means, what it means that God is holy. It means that God, God is different to us, actually. God he's not like us. It says in Isaiah that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And that God is not like us. And in fact, it's not just that he's got different thoughts to us. It's there is something about God that is like nothing we have ever seen or heard. There is something about God that actually is, over, is actually overwhelming. Come, to come into God's presence is actually quite, quite scary on one level. Um, Francis Chan says this, he says, if you read the Bible, a lot of people when they are confronted with God or even meet an angel, their response is one of fear, even terror. They drop to the ground on their faces. It's not just awe or respect, it's fear. And I have to be really careful the way we say this, don't we? Because I wouldn't want anyone to get the wrong idea. But, but that's what we see here in this passage. It says here that Moses' response was to hide his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. That sense of being in God's presence is so overwhelming. 
I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've had that experience. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know how you feel about people encountering God and, and being afraid. Um, because I think sometimes our well, the question I asked at the beginning is what what is God like? And I've got a lovely uncle, um, and he's my brother's um, youngest. No, he's not my brother's. He's my dad's brother, isn't he? That's how it works. Uh, he's my dad's youngest brother, and uh, my dad's no longer alive. But so whenever I'm with this guy, he reminds me of, it of my dad. So I quite like him, and he he's he's really lovely. He's lovely and loving, and kind and generous and funny. Um, and but we probably only see him maybe once every couple of years. And I know he wants the best for me, but I know that he'd never challenge me. I know that he actually would never, um, if, he, if I was doing something and telling him about something he didn't agree with, he probably wouldn't tell me. And he wants to bless me, but from a distance. And I just, I just wonder whether sometimes a lot of people I've met, that's kind of how they view God a little bit, like a distant uncle who wants the best for me, but would never challenge me. Or even a teddy bear, and I know this is extreme caricatures really, but like a teddy bear is great for a child, isn't it? Comforting when a child is upset. But you kind of, you, you grow out your need for teddy bears, don't we? Most of us do, don't we? And we grow out of our needs. No, some people are shaking their heads at me. No, they don't. Um, but I just think I've met so many people who probably would not call themselves Christians, and they have, although they would not particularly like these caricatures practically that is kind of how they relate to God from a distance he just wants to bless me but he never challenges me or he's I'm going to bring my children to church because he's good for them but I, he's nothing he, I don't need him as an adult and you know oh be careful here I, I feel a bit emotional today already but I just when when I hear that I just think oh God is the holy God is the maker of all things to stand in his presence is like nothing else oh he ain't a teddy bear he ain't a distant uncle he's on fire this is God the maker of heaven and earth oh I don't want to offend you but I've got to tell you the truth like well I think it's the truth like I, I mean this uh, a better picture is the sun this consuming fire that out of it comes life and out of it comes everything we know that is good and, and produces life on this planet and yet you cannot get near it because you'll be consumed. And that actually is what it says in Deuteronomy 4.24 and in and Hebrews it says that our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And my worry, I don't know, let's not, not say it's a worry, but my, sometimes, you know, people come to faith in Jesus for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of good reasons, and they encounter God and, and, they, and they know him. But sometimes this understanding of his holiness can be lacking in our, in our experience of God. Um, and the fact that God is holy and pure and perfect and powerful, consuming fire. Um, and we can get the idea that God exists for our benefit. That God, somehow God owes me a good life. <laughs> that it all becomes about me and God becomes so small. And that isn't the God of the Bible. It's not the God I see in the Bible. And that's why I love the Bible, because it challenges me. It challenges my own default perceptions of God. It says God is a consuming fire. Um, God doesn't exist for my benefit. I am not the centre of this world. God is. 
And uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, famously used that example of a lion, didn't he, in, in his stories, um, Aslan. Um, and um, I'd just like to say to you today, on a, on a slightly same uh, track, is remember the bear. Now, here he is, old Drew. Uh, now, <laughs> Drew Hamilton's a bear guide. Would you know that from looking at him? Um, and uh, a few months ago, I was online on the BBC website, and they did this whole series on, uh, it's called um, Wild Alaska Live. And they had loads of little videos on there of, of stuff that was going on in Alaska. And Drew was on there. And Drew is a bear guide. He's not a bear. He's a bear guide. Um, and his job is to go around sort of following bears, and, and I don't know quite what he does. I don't know what he does, but he's a bear guide. Um, and um, he has this encounter with this bear, uh, that's his seat, and uh, he's really calm, but it's amazing. Search for it on the BBC website. That um, happened about six months ago. Um, and there's this bear there, and I love what Drew says, because he says this. He says, to be in the presence of a bear, everything else just falls away, and you're focused on one thing. You're focused on that bear. Do I need to connect up the dots for you there? God is bigger than a bear. And it's so important that we have a right um, view of God. And this passage, you know, I don't think I would have chosen to speak on the holiness of God. But it's here. It's in this passage. God's presence makes this bush, this ground, holy. And uh, God... God is a holy God. You know, I remember when I was at university, which um, I don't know how many years ago that was now, but that was a little while ago. And um, I lived in this shared house uh, with four other people. There were five of us there. And um, one of our friends came over um, one night and um, he wanted to talk, he basically wanted to confess to us that he, when I say us, I mean me and one of my other friends, there was no one else in the house, um, confessed to us um, that he'd been... Um, he'd, been t- he'd been messing around basically with a, a lady, a girl a similar age to him uh, sexually um, for the past few days and they weren't married and they weren't even going out I don't know what they were doing really but they were just got together each evening and, and were, were doing things and he felt that, that was wrong which I think it was and he came over to us that night to confess that to us and tell us about it and I remember after he told us we felt like the, there was a deep sense of God's holiness that came on that student lounge <laughs> that we were in. And all of us just fell on our faces and just began crying out to God for forgiveness. Because although we hadn't, my, me and my friend hadn't done any of that stuff, we, we'd sinned on our own way. And we just became so aware of God's holiness and purity. And the only response we could have was that we lay on the ground and beg God for forgiveness, really, and change our hearts. And I remember hearing um, one of the other housemates come in the front door. And we all leapt up straight away because we thought it might be a bit strange um, for them to come in and find three chaps on the floor together. But, um, but for 10 minutes, it was powerful and a real sense of God's presence. Um, you know, we can't, sta- we can't stand in the presence of a holy God because he is so different to us. And the great news is that Jesus, Jesus dies and he deals with our failure and our sin and all of our lack of holiness, all of our stuff that would keep us out of God's presence, that would mean that we would be consumed by his presence. Jesus comes and he dies and he takes that on himself. 
And what we see, I'll talk a bit more about this in a minute, but what we see on the cross is an amazing sort of convergence of the holiness of God and, and the compassion of God. Um, and to know the warmth of his holiness inside, to know that our failure has been forgiven and taken away is, is, is absolutely amazing. It's such a gift. Um, we're going to move on from this holiness in a second, but I just want to say sometimes a Christian's responses to God being holy has been to withdraw from the world. Do you know what I mean? They just sort of stop doing anything that isn't listening to worship music and going to church. You know, and and a while ago somebody taught me um, something about how we respond to God's holiness and. It basically involved three R's. I'll quickly just give this to you now as a practical little thing. Because I, what I don't want to do is give you a list of do's and don'ts. Goodness me, that's the last thing I want to do. Do this, don't do this. It's not about that at all. But it is sometimes, as, as we go through life, we do need to think these things through. And there are some things in life which we just receive. They're good. You know, walks in the countryside, good food. Just receive it. It's good. Just receive it. But there are also some things that we need to reject. You know, fiddling our finances or looking at dodgy stuff on the internet, whatever. There's stuff that we say, no, I'm a Christian. I don't do that anymore. I reject it. But then finally, there's also stuff we redeem. Like there's stuff like sex or alcohol or the internet. It's, not, it's, it's a good thing, but people have used it wrong. And we need to think through, how do we redeem that? How do we use that? I'm not going to stop going to the pub. I can go to the pub because it's a good thing. But how do I use that in a way that glorifies God? So how do we redeem that? So I hope that those three things are helpful. So the next time you're facing something, you can think through that filter. Which one of these things do I need to use? But God isn't just holy. God is compassionate. And we see that in these verses here. Um, What's it say in verse 7? Let me have a glass of water. Hang on a sec. It says in verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned about their suffering. Amazing thing for God to say. I have seen your suffering, and I am moved by it. I am concerned. And um, firstly, how do you... Is that like you? (laughs) Or are you hard and cynical about people's suffering? Firstly, you know... So easy to have gone through life and been let down by people. You've tried to help people and it hasn't gone quite as you thought it would. And to get hard, to get hard to other people's suffering. And God isn't like that. God's heart is so full of compassion. And his instinct is compassion, actually, I think, with God. He's moved by our suffering. Um, and not only that, but he is he's, he's actively seeking out people he wants to show love and mercy and justice to. And um, I might finish with this story, but I... Uh, um, sorry. I used to lead a church on on, on, on housing estate, on a council estate, and, um, before we came back here, and... Uh, there was a time when we did a fun day with the Salvation Army. Sorry, I, I don't want to get emotional about this story, but it's someone I really care about. And um, we um, we were doing this fun day with the Salvation Army, and um, I saw this guy in the distance, and he looked pretty rough. And if I'm, he was he was rough, <laughs> and probably one of the ugliest people I've ever seen as well. Like he was, I don't mean that in a nasty way, but he just to set the scene. This guy was not the sort of guy who you would 
go for. Like he was rough. He was having a fag, standing over there, just just hanging out at this fun day we were doing on his own. And I thought he looks like he needs a friend. I'm going to go and chat to him. I think. Um, and I went to chat to him, and I got to know him a bit. And um, I was, you know, just got to know him a bit on that morning. And I said, "Do you want to meet up for coffee this week?" And um, and he's like, "Yeah, fine." So. Now, I've worked out a load of pastoral uh, things I do now, and I did something which I would never do now, but he gave me his address. And I went over to see him that week, and I knocked on his door, and I was with him for 10 minutes, and then we went out to um, have, have, have a cup of tea in one of the local cafes, which is what I was always, would always do. And i just say to you, don't go into people's homes, meet them in public, okay? Just a little health and safety thing. But um, when I went into his house, um, oh, he... Perhaps you've been in houses like this, but um, he basically ha- he didn't really have anything, and he didn't have a carpet, and instead of curtains, he had bin liners up on 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 the windows, and um, it was and the paint the walls were not painted properly, and, and there'd been some kids that have got in there and graffitied horrible things on the walls, and um, and I remember taking this guy out for, um, for coffee and chatting to him. He was probably in his late 30s and uh, he, he was telling me about how he was being rejected by his family and rejected by his friends. Um, and, and the great news was that we as a church then got to know him and we went in and decorated his walls. I remember painting over these words and I, was, I thought, yes, this is the kingdom of God. We're going to paint over these words and love this guy. Uh, we managed to help him get a carpet. We befriended him and, and, he, and he came into, we probably knew him for about six years and um, he came, started coming to our church, and, and it wasn't an easy ride because his nature and his experience, he would self-destruct. And I remember once going around to see him, and he threw this cookie jar at me. We'd given him this cookie jar for Christmas. And he was like, I'm never going to see you again. And he threw this cookie jar at me, and I caught it, fortunately. And, uh, and I gave it back to him in two weeks when he'd calmed down. But like, it was constantly, it was not easy loving this guy. It was not easy loving this guy. And, and some people would say to me, how do you love him that? And I said to him, honestly... I just feel it's the compassion and love of God for him. And the image I would always get, I remember driving back from seeing him one day and just crying because I just felt like what God said to me, Nat, I was looking at your town and I saw this guy and I saw the state of his life and I was moved, God saying, I was moved with compassion for him. And I sent you and I sent you the church to be my love to that man. And to bring him out of that rejected, dark, horrible place into a place where he was loved and he became part of a family. And it was incredible. It was incredible. That was the kingdom of God. That was the compassion of God for people. He looks down now and he looks down at us and he sees our town, doesn't he? But he see, and he sees us and he is moved with compassion for you. He is a holy God, but we see these two things coming together. We see the holiness of God and the compassion of God hand in hand. And um, I think we're going to leave it there. I don't think we're going to go to this final point. But God includes those who have counted themselves out. That's what we see here. Moses, when God says, I'm going to use you, Moses says, what, me? No, no, not me. And God includes those who've counted themselves out. So, as I say, I think we'll leave it there.